Praise God. If you would turn, as we just kind of soak that song in still, if you would turn to Psalm 24, Psalm 24, as we get ready to get into God's Word and receive a word from the Lord. So that's why we're here. We're to he- here to hear from God. We're here to worship God. And we're here to be touched by heaven, ultimately, and transformed in our lives so that we would take this glorious gospel to a world that is needy. Amen? Let's come before the Lord right now. Father God, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, God, that we have been given the privilege of gathering today to worship you and to honor you and to praise you and to extol your name. You're worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And we thank you, Lord God, that you speak, that you not left us to ourselves, but you have spoken and revealed your word to us. And we pray that as we enter into this passage of scripture, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive the truth of it, that you would open our minds and our hearts and Lord, that you would unstop anything, Lord, that would be a barrier to us hearing from you, Lord, that you would dig out ears that we might hear, that you would help me to get out of the way and that your spirit would empower this time, that you would come upon the word with power, that you would come upon our hearts with power and Lord, that you would breathe a word of encouragement, a word that would convict and build up, a word that would strengthen and sustain, and a word that would wake us up if we are slumbering in here today. And so we pray, Father, that as we drink from your word, that you would speak and that we as your servants would hear from heaven. And we ask these things in the mighty, majestic name of Jesus. Amen. So last week, um, I was watching a movie with Clarissa, and it was, it was pretty late at night. It was one of those Marvel movies. And I started the movie, and this is all I know. As I started the movie, and I was eager to watch it, and after about 15, 20 minutes, I just, I must have dozed off or, or passed out, or I don't know what it was, but I was out. And, and then all of a sudden, I get, every so often, I get waked up, you know, by... Marvel action, you know, guns blazing and and Thor doing this or, you know, and ultimately um, my wife looks over and she's like, are you asleep? And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, I'm I'm good. I'm awake. You know, I don't I don't know why we do that when we get when we somebody asks us if we're asleep and then we're like, oh, no, we're good. We're good. I'm good. And ultimately, that's the way I was. I was like, I'm good. I'm fine. And then I would doze back off again. And she'd be like, you're asleep. This was your idea to watch this movie. (laughs) Wake up, you know. And ultimately, I needed a a wake-up call. And sometimes we just need to hear a good word of truth to wake us up from sleep. And, And it's easy, spiritually, to get lulled to sleep. It's easy to kind of fall asleep at the wheel, so to speak, when... God is on the move, 
And when the world is dark and we're, when we're in, immersed in a battle, sometimes we just need to hear the trumpet blast and get woke up. And ultimately, Psalm 24 is kind of like a trumpet blast. It was meant to be a song sung in procession as the Ark of the Covenant would come into the city of Jerusalem and the people would prepare. And, and, and ultimately, what you need to know about the Ark of the Covenant is that was the place in the tabernacle where God would dwell above the cherubim above the ark, and you've all seen probably Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what the ark looked like. It was this golden box with angels on top of it on the lid, and they carried it around with poles, and you couldn't touch it because it was holy. And that's the place where God dwelled, and the people were getting ready to receive it into the city. That's what Psalm 24 is about. But it's also as I was wrestling with it this week, it's a wake-up call. Because it's like a blast of truth that we need to hear, and if we've fallen asleep, it's going to wake us up. Because sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. And the ark would go before the armies of Israel into battle, and the ark would come back after the battle was over. And the Bible says we're in a spiritual battle and principalities and powers hold sway over men. 1 John chapter 5 reminds us that the devil holds sway over the world. That he's gripped the hearts and minds of people who don't know Jesus. And if you're saved in here and if you're a child of God, it's because God opened your eyes. You were blind. You were dead. You were shackled and in prison and you were governed by the spirit of this age and the world and then God set you free and God opened your eyes and God broke in and showed you your need. So I want us to hear this psalm like, a, like it's a wake-up call to us because we need to hear it like that. We need to hear in the midst of a raging battle a clarion trumpet sound so when marriages are crumbling around us we're not asleep right when the culture goes post-christian we don't fall asleep at the wheel when idols are all around us that we do not fall asleep that we don't forsake God for a lukewarm Christianity because we're asleep. That we don't become so addicted to our iPhones that we can't hear the word of God anymore. Because we're asleep. So we need this wake up call. We need the spirit to stir in us and wake us up. So that we would be ready to receive the king of glory. And so I entitled this message, Arise, O Generation that Seeks the King of Glory. Arise. I want you to hear it like God's speaking to you, saying, rise up, church, with wings, and go into this world 
as worshipers of the true and living God. I recently was at a conference and there was a note that was sounded that, that just struck me to the core. And one of the speakers said, it just takes one generation to lose the gospel completely. It takes one generation that falls asleep and the gospel's lost. That's how quickly we can lose it. That's how quickly we can lose the next generation. That's how quickly we can lose our children. Because they're getting a whole worldview out there that is anti-God, anti-Christian, that is straight from the pit of hell. And God has a word for us today that was ultimately born out of the gravity of who it is that made us, that He's holy, and that He is worthy of our worship and honor and adoration. And that as the people of God hear and see they welcome in the King of glory, just like they did with the Ark of the Covenant. So I want to set the context real quick for this whole psalm so you hear it the right way. Okay, we read from 1 Samuel 5. And that was a period in which Israel was declining spiritually. Its own priest were committing sexual immorality and sleeping with people in the temple or in the tabernacle. And God had had enough. And he spoke through the prophet Samuel and said, these priests are going to be destroyed and judgment's coming. And the armies of Israel went out to battle the Philistines and they were routed and defeated. And then as Caleb read... The ark was captured. It was unthinkable. The ark of God was captured. But the ark was only a symbol of God's presence and God's favor. And the people had forsaken God. Israel had forsaken God. And so they went out. They got defeated. The ark is captured. Unless we think that this God that we worship and this God of Israel is weak, what happens to the Philistines? They can't have the ark for but a night. And their statue to their god, Dagon, was decapitated, lying on the floor, hands cut off, and just a torso. And they wouldn't even step foot in that place again to worship false gods. And they broke out with plagues and tumors because God is holy and God is serious and God will not tolerate our wickedness and our sin and our idolatry and God's just wrath breaks out in Philistine or in Philistia. And they get that thing out of there as quick as possible. And it doesn't even make its way all the way back to Israel. Israel tries to receive it about halfway and they take it and ultimately, the men look at it, but because they're so corrupt and they've so fallen away from God, 50,000 men who looked at the ark were slain right there where they stood. 
And the prophet Samuel spoke to the people and said, if you don't repent and turn back to God, this is only the beginning. But if you will repent, the glory of God will return. You won't have named over Israel Ichabod. The glory has departed. The glory will return. So now, I want us to read this psalm. Psalm 24. And get some help. Because this is who we're dealing with. This is our God. And Israel would have sung this as the ark approached. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And you got to imagine the people asking that question, right? The priests say, Who is this King of glory? And the people say, the Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. Let's try that. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. Amen. That's who we're dealing with in Psalm 24. And so I want us to hear this as like three trumpet blasts that speak truth right into our hearts, right where we need it most. And you may have come in here today and you're desperately needing to hear this truth. You're discouraged. You've been believing lies about who you are, about what you need. And God wants to speak to your heart. Trumpet blast number one. The Lord is sovereign and in control. The Lord is sovereign and He's in control. Look at verse one. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The Lord is the king of creation. He created everything, right? The very first verse of the Bible establishes God as creator king. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. It starts with God. And He created everything. God spoke and the universe popped into existence. God brings order out of chaos. Right? And orders the whole universe so that it has design and complexity and order. And there's not a rogue molecule in the universe because God is in control of it all. So this passage is just like trying to 
to blast some truth at you and say, God created you. God made you. God made everything in this world. And originally, he made it good. Until sin got in the mix. So you might need, just need to be encouraged that God knows every hair on your head. And not a hair will fall to the ground apart from his will. Farmers, in here you need to know that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Those cattle are not your cattle. They're God's cattle. Right? He made them. You are stewards and custodians of God's creation. The Lord is sovereign, which means He's king. He rules. And He made us. So that means we owe our allegiance to Him. He made you. He, he made you fearfully and wonderfully. The Bible says He knit you together in your mother's womb like a master craftsman. He made you special and unique. And He made you in His image. And there's something gloriously splendid about you. The world is going to say you're a grown-up germ. You evolved from the slime. And all of a sudden, the slime turned into uh, sea life and, and plant life. And, and that evolved into animals and, and mammals and things like that. And all of a sudden, you're, just a, you're a grown-up germ. There's no purpose there's no ultimate reality except you just are an accident. The Bible says you were made by God and He has a design for your life. And you will totally wreck your life if you don't start from that building block. This psalm is a blast of truth giving us a worldview. Helping us know who we are and who we were made by. So the Lord is the king and founder of the universe. He's in control. And verse 2 says, He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So why does the earth belong to God? Because He made it. Why do you belong to God? Because He made you. And God is good and He's wise and He's holy and He's just. He hates all the right things and He loves all the right things. He hates injustice and crime and evil. And He loves what is good and true and right. He's a just God. So it might be the most fundamental truth that you need to grab a hold of today is that God is your Creator. You are His creature. There's a Creator-creature distinction. And He's in control. I can remember watching the movie Rudy for the first time. And you remember that movie. It's that famous movie of the underdog young man named Rudy. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Ultimately, Rudy wanted to be a Notre Dame football player. And the whole movie, he's just, he's fighting against all odds to get to Notre Dame and to play Notre Dame football. And about halfway through the movie, he's stuck at a community college. It doesn't look like he's going to get in. And he befriends this priest and he sits down with the priest and the priest, you know, is there to kind of give him some comfort. And Rudy says, you really think I have a shot at playing Notre Dame football? Do you really think I could get in? And the priest looks at Rudy and says, listen, I've come to one 
concrete truth in life. One thing that I build everything else on. There is a God, and I am not Him. And then he goes on to encourage him to keep going. There's a God, and we're not it. Many of the problems that come into your life are because you have usurped the place of God. And you want to do it your own way. And we make messes. And God is saying, get the order right. He's the Lord. He's in control. He's sovereign. So the first steps to waking up from sleep is to realize God is God. To realize, recognize God is God. We are not. We're not ultimately in control of our life. Stuff happens to us and wakes us up to our need. Stuff happens to us and exposes our need for God. So perhaps that's the place that you need to start today is just kneeling before the Lord your God, your maker, and acknowledging Him as your creator, as your king, and submitting to the good designs He has for your life. Because ultimately, the Bible reminds us that we owe God our allegiance and we owe Him worship and honor that He's due as the King. And sin is just to fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's when we get twisted. And we begin to live our own way instead of according to His designs. You, you want to know, when you see in the culture what's happening in the LBGTQ movement is a twisting of God's good designs. What happens when you forsake God as King, as Creator, as Lord and Designer of the universe and human nature, what you have is a turning away from the basic fundamentals of humanity. What a man is, what a woman is. What flourishing relationships look like, what the covenant of marriage between one man, one woman for life in the covenant of marriage, what human sexuality is all about, that sex within those confines is glorious and good, and anything that deviates from that will lead to pain and sorrow and misery. So when you look around and you see this distortion, you see this brokenness, It's because people haven't heard the first trumpet blast. They've rejected it. That God is king and he's creator. So we've got to see that. But we've also got to realize that God is holy and we are not. God is creator and we are not. God is holy and we are not. That's the second trumpet blast. Realizing the Lord is holy and we are not. Look at verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So as we kind of contemplated God as the ruler of creation, it makes us tremble at approaching him. 
as we contemplate our fallibility, as we contemplate, we, we struggle to honor God. We struggle to tell the truth. We struggle to love people. We struggle to love our families. We struggle to love our friends. We struggle to live in the ways that we know. Some of the things we know we ought to do, we don't do. Because the Bible says we're broken. And so this psalm lays on us two questions that's just staggering. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall climb up the mountain of God? Who shall ascend to meet God? And who will stand in his holy place? And that makes me tremble when I think of words like Jeremiah the prophet who said the heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I'm going to approach God. Or Genesis 6-5 says, as it depicts the human heart, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and every intention of his thoughts, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's an abysmal picture of humanity. We were made glorious and special and to reflect God, but something's happened inside. And we're running from God now. Jesus taught the same thing in Mark chapter 7. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, these evil things, come from within and they defile a person. Sometimes we think it's everything out there that is where the evil is. And Jesus is saying, no, it's actually here. That's why he had to come. That's why he came to save. That's why he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Listen, we got to hear hard things before we're re ready to receive the glorious truth of the gospel. We can't sing songs like the ones that we sung today without really knowing how broken we are as a people. And really knowing how good God is. That even though we can never climb the mountain of God on our own, even though we can't stand in His holy presence, He has made a glorious way for us to connect with Him. Because this psalm is ultimately about connecting with God and receiving him as your king. But you've got to know this, this reality of holiness. And that God is holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. The prophet Isaiah said. And the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. See, envision this God who's so regal that his, his robe that went behind him like his cape filled the temple with glory. Sometimes we see a long wedding gown, right? To show ultimately the regal splendor of a queen. Well, this robe of this king, the king of glory, fills the temple with glory. Because of who he is. Because he is holy. So how do we look at verse 4? As we stand before a holy God and he says, who may come? Who is it 
who may come to the Lord? Who in this room can come to the Lord? Who on earth can come to God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He says you've got to have clean hands and a pure heart. And that idea of clean hands, you, you, you know what it's like to get your hands nasty. You get your hands in some grease or you get some hands, your hands in some gook and it's disgusting. You're not going to go make a meal after that. You're going to go wash your hands. But the hands were a symbol for the life that you're living. The actions, the behavior. How do you actually live? Where are you actually living before the face of God? Is it in dirt and grime and things you know you shouldn't be doing? He who has clean hands may approach the hill of the Lord. But it's not enough to deal with the externals, right? He says you've also got to have a pure heart. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart for they, they will see God. And all through Scripture, we have such a testimony that we've got a broken heart and a bad record when it comes to our hands and when it comes to the purity of our heart. Even the thoughts and intents of our heart can be evil. You might be in here and you're like, I've got a messy past. I've done some really horrible things and I don't think I could be forgiven them. When you're talking about all this, this makes me feel low and small and dirty and defiled and without hope. Well, that would be true if the Lord had not provided help. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who doesn't lift up his soul to what is false. He doesn't go after foreign gods. He doesn't go after idols. There's a reason that Israel was given over to the judgment of the Philistines. Only to be rebuked, disciplined by the Lord, and then drawn back to repentance. Maybe there's stuff going on in your life right now that is meant to draw you to repentance. It's meant by God to get you to turn to Him. It's speaking deep in your bones that you need to turn to the Lord. That you feel like, I, if I stand in the place of verse 4, I do not have clean hands and I do not have a pure heart and I have lifted up my soul to what is false and I have lived in a web of lies. I've sworn deceitfully. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've spun so many lies that you can't even keep track of it anymore. And God is pointing the way to the King of glory. Nobody's going to get there on their own. Nobody's going to climb the mountain on their own. Isaiah 53 reminds us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right in that verse, you have the problem and the solution. 
at the same time. We've all turned away. And even church people, right, we've got to recognize we can turn away from God. We've all turned away. But the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So do I have hope, Pastor, if I've blown it? Because I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to repent. I don't want, I don't want to go public with this stuff. It's too dirty. It's too defiling. But David is saying something to us. David's reminding us when he says in verse 5, he says, the ones who are able to approach God are the ones who realize they've received blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of their salvation. You're not righteous, but you can receive an alien righteousness that comes from God that was sent from heaven, born in Bethlehem. And this man grew as the Lord in flesh, lived a perfect life, the one you never could live. He has clean hands. He has a pure heart. He went to a cross. He died for our sins. And ultimately, He can reconcile you back to God. And He can give you the righteousness that you so long for. He can give you the clean heart that you need. He can cleanse you by giving you a clean record and a clean heart. By grace through faith in Him. And He took the death penalty for us on the cross. So the way forward, as you see yourself before a holy God and you begin to see, and the holier you get, the more you realize your sin as a Christian. The holier you get, the more in touch with God you get, the more you see your sin. So you may not be even liking, like, why is he talking about all this sin stuff? But as you grow in Christ, you start realizing, Lord, I am so broken in so many ways, and you're putting me back together bit by bit. And that's called sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. Those who have received blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of their salvation, they're not doing it on their own. They're being carried up the mountain by King Jesus. They're ascending because the Holy One has come and He's died for us and He's risen. But it does mean that we have to be a generation that humbles ourselves before God. Verse 6, what does that say to us? But such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. I can remember a time in my life when I was a brand new Christian. And ultimately, I, I, I was living in these ways. I was loving darkness, loving sin, walking in it. All of a sudden, I get saved. I'm in the military. Everybody lives to go party, do drugs, come back, work a hard week, do it all over again. Bar fights, all sorts of stuff. And then God begins to get a hold of people. And I can remember as soon as I got saved, I wanted to be in church. I wanted to be in every service there was. I wanted to be in every Bible study. I was longing to, for more. 
I signed up for prayer meetings and watched people begin to pray. And I was wondering, what is this thing that people are getting in touch with God? They're ascending the mountain because King Jesus is bringing them before God. And there was like a little miniature awakening going on in the Marine Corps and Bible studies were breaking out and people were beginning to get saved. And there was a hunger for God. And there was a love for God. And there was just an openness to say, Lord, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let you clean all this brokenness out. And I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Such is the generation of those who seek Him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Just this morning, I read an account of Asbury University just a few days ago, a revival began to break out on campus. They had a prayer meeting and they had a chapel service. And a man spoke and said, we need to confess our sins as a people. We need to confess our sins of falling asleep as a people. We need to confess our sins of prayerlessness. We need to confess our sins of living and going after other God's not the one true God. We need to break down before this God and submit. And ultimately, after that chapel service was over, over, people didn't leave. They began to worship and they began to worship and they began to worship and it went on for days. And I'm understanding it's still going on now. And people are giving testimony of how the Lord is calling students from everywhere across the world through social media who are hearing about this revival and they're repenting. And it's like fire being carried from one place to another. Such is the generation of those who seek the face of the God of Jacob who say, Lord of glory, come in. And that's what that third trumpet blast is all about. Receive your king. Receive the king of glory. They were waiting for the ark to come. The symbol of the presence of God. And they began to sing. Verse 7. Lift up your head, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors. That the king of glory may come in. Throw the gates wide open that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Oh, you were asleep on that one. Who is this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? Do you believe that? The Lord of hosts. You envision a stadium filled with angels. 10,000 upon 10,000. The Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's strong and mighty in battle. And when the people of God let him in and when the people of God receive him and when the people of God say, come, Lord, he manifests his presence. But it will not happen if we do not hear the trumpet blast. 
if we do not lay hold of the trumpet blast, if we do not become a generation who seek the face of the God of Jacob and bow the knee. So you might feel like I'm broken today. I'm unrighteous. Something's wrong in my heart. I'm feeling unclean. I've done things I know I shouldn't have done. And I've not got the forgiveness of God. I'm carrying that weight on me. Some of you got large weights on you. Large burdens from decisions you've made to go against the design of God. And the heavy hand of God is on you. You feel guilty. You feel discouraged. You feel weary. You feel hopeless. And Jesus has a word for you. The Bible says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You got a righteousness problem? Jesus can deal with it. He became a wrath-bearing substitute dying on a cross for us. Are you in need of a new beginning? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. Don't you want a new beginning in your heart? You're, here, you're, you're a believer, but you need something fresh to happen. You've lost sight of this gift you've been given to be redeemed by God. You've lost sight. You've, you've become stale and anemic in your religion. Crusty. And God is speaking to you today. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Live in the newness that Christ has purchased for you on the cross. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Maybe you need to let Jesus in afresh to clean up your life and to relight the fire in your heart for the glory of God. But you say, I don't feel loved right now. I've been chasing love everywhere else. Been chasing it in relationships and they've all let me down. And I feel so empty, so alone, so hopeless, so despairing. And God is saying to you, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes on Him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You want to know what it means to arise as a generation of people who seek the face of God? It means you invite the King of Glory to come in. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe this whole space needs to be lined with people who sense the call of God for something different and something new, something fresh to happen in your soul. You want God and you say, let the gates be opened. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's the call of this passage. Let the king into your life. 
Let him get in deep in the nooks and crannies of your soul and make you totally new. Let's pray. Father God, as we contemplate this passage, Lord, there's so much more that could be said, but there are some here who just feel the gravity of it landing on them. They feel like they want more of you. They want to experience the awakening in their hearts. There's some here who feel just so dirty and defiled, and they want to be made clean. They want to be given hope. They want to be given encouragement. They want to be given gospel truth. And lay hold of it by faith. Father, I pray that you would call a people to yourself right now who would say in their hearts, Lord, I'm opening up the gates. I'm opening up the doors. Please forgive me. I've lost sight that you are the creator king. I've lost sight of your holiness. And I so long to approach the hill of the Lord and be embraced by you because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, I don't want to be shutting you out anymore. I want to be receiving all that you have for me in Christ. And if, it's, if that's where you're at, the Spirit of God is just convicting you afresh today that you need Him. I just want you to raise up your hand right here. As we're seated, raise up your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Just acknowledge the work that God might be doing in your soul. He's calling you to something more. He's calling you to reach up to Him, connect with Him, open up the gates. Just raise your hand in the air. I'd love to pray for you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. You want more. You're tired of the same old, same old. You need Jesus to break through. Raise your hand up in the air high so I can see it. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. The Lord is doing a work in this room. Raise up your hand if you want more of Christ in your life. God bless you. Father God, these who have reached up to you said, I'm opening up the doors. I pray your blessing on them. And those of us who are here, who are still just encouraged and wrestling with these truths, I pray, God, that you would baptize us with boldness and love and peace and joy and that the forgiveness of God would begin to break into hearts, the renewal of God. We pray for an awakening to begin here. We pray for revival to start in the house of God. We pray, Lord, that we would not be like Israel, falling asleep at the wheel, but that Jesus would reign in this place. And that we would open up the gates. Oh Lord, come and be upon us now. In Jesus' name, amen.